Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you. about you, but anytime the Bible talks about wealth in any way, my mind immediately goes to my own circumstances. Half the time, I want to pretend that the Bible, at least right there, is not really speaking to me in those passages, but to people who have far more means than I do. But the rest of the time when I hear those passages and bother to really listen, I am aware enough to know the truth that the Word of God is speaking directly to me. So don't relativize the passage, Peter, I have to tell myself, when there's some mention of wealth. Don't self-exempt your little life from the truth, Peter, 
the truth that God is aiming for you to hear. So today, I'm going to read one of those Bible stories that mentions wealth. And as I do, see if you can avoid that self-exemption game that I sometimes play. And after the reading, I'll share some thoughts about what our Lord might be hoping for from all of our lives and the faith that is in them. So hear now from St. Mark's Gospel account, the 10th chapter, beginning at the 17th verse. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, and he asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to the man, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. But the man said to Jesus, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and then said, You lack only one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked. And he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Jesus then looked around and he said to his disciples, How hard will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is going to be to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were greatly astounded. And they said to one another, Well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and he said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. So take a listen now to some thoughts about this little passage from Mark's 10th chapter. Well, whenever the Bible talks about money or wealth or possessions, Two things seem to happen almost instantaneously within us. The first thing we do is we start to take a mental inventory of everything we own or everything we, we know we're capable of owning. We go through the rooms of our homes and the storage closets of our attic and basement and we mentally go through them or through our stock portfolio page by page, determining where we might fall on the wealth spectrum. We get nervous. Do we have too many possessions? Or do we have just the right amount of possessions? That's the first thing I think we do when we hear a passage about possessions, money, or wealth. The second thing we do is the more likely we are to be implicated in such a passage or such a story, the more apt we are to relativize it. In other words, we make a self-exception. And almost without realizing it, we exclude ourselves from being 
implicated. This is why so many preachers in the Christian world and so many Christians in the Christian world obsess over trying to find verses about sexuality while passing over hundreds of verses about the defenselessness of the poor and coming to the aid of the dispossessed and finding economic justice through our means. It's so much easier to take literally those passages where we can point a finger at somebody else rather than those passages that point a finger at us. Now my suggestion for you when you hear the words wealth or possessions or riches that you translate that. You translate that into being resourced or perhaps well-resourced. When you have substantial resources, all kinds of self-sufficiency becomes possible. You begin to believe that you can buy your way out of trouble, and I believe that I can buy my way out of trouble or problems because it's so easy to supply ourselves with what we need, we end up not having to trust God for very much. We can take care of it ourselves. We're self-sufficient, thank you very much, and we can buy what we need. We can buy our way out of problems. Sometimes we can buy a fix. To be well-resourced is more than to have financial resources. It's to have all kinds of riches. A dependable family that you can turn to. A mate or a really good friend who's sensible, who's trustworthy, who's secure. You're well-resourced. A house that may not be trouble-free, but you don't have to lie awake worrying about the thing at nighttime. A broad network of friends. A high limit on your credit card. Healthcare that actually covers something and gives you access to qualified professionals. You are well resourced. This is some of what it means to be resourced people, to be people of means, to be people of wealth, to be people with connections. If you need something, well, you just go and buy it. And if your body's not working, the mentality is often, well, let's, let me find somebody who can fix it, or a medicine that will fix it, or a second or third opinion at some other institution that will fix it. Now, one of the troubling illusions of being resource-rich is that we end up not having to trust God for very much at all. We practically don't even need God for a lot of the day-to-day -day affairs as we see them. Heck, we just buy something if we're in a fix. If you fear the power's going to go out, you go and you buy a generator. If you worry about your trip getting canceled, you go and you buy trip insurance. But what about the things that we can't buy? No matter how resourced we are, no matter how wealthy we are, what about those things we cannot buy? You can't buy more time when somebody you love is dying. You can't buy your way out of 
prison any more than you can buy your way out of being convicted of a crime. You can't buy your way out of shame if that's what's crippling your conscience. You can't buy your way out of addiction or out of loneliness. You can't even buy your way into a revitalized marriage. You can't buy your way into being an emotionally free person. And we certainly cannot buy our way into eternal life. We can be so, so well-resourced, so hugely self-sufficient. We can have houses that are just full of stuff. And yet, we can be missing something vital. There can be an emptiness within us. And we can be anything but free. Which brings us to the story today of this man with all kinds of resources. This man has no name attached to him. He's not even called rich, by the way, even though we call him the rich man. Anytime there is a nameless person in a story in Scripture, that's usually a clue that you and I are supposed to plug in our own name. This guy happens to be one of the most authentic characters in the New Testament. There's an innocence about him. There's an honesty to his inquisitiveness. He's vulnerable and he's courageous about his vulnerability. He has succeeded professionally. He's succeeded financially. He has succeeded religiously. There's no indication that he's arrogant about his wealth or that he finds all comfort in his wealth or he never would have come to Jesus. But come to Jesus, he does. Because something is missing in his life. Something isn't quite right. There's an emptiness. There's a restlessness. A sense he seems to have that the richest things in life have nothing to do with money. So he kneels at the feet of Jesus. He says, teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A question has probably been burning ferociously in him for some time. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus begins listing the commandments. He says, you know them. Yeah, the guy does know them. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not defraud other people, you shall not become a false witness, and honor your father and mother. The guy thinks, yep, we're good. Check, check, check. All but one of these commandments, by the way, are in the negative. You shall not. And the guy is thinking, well, never in my life have I harmed anyone. Never in my life have I defrauded anyone. You know what kind of life this is called? It's called a respectable life. Decent, honest, proper, well-regarded, and of good character. This guy is darn respectable. But in the Christian life, we discover that respectability is not enough. Respectability on the whole consists of not doing certain things, 
But the Christian life is about sticking your neck out and doing certain things. So Jesus looks and he sees this guy's respectability, all of it, and probably with a whole lot of admiration. And he says, you're missing only one thing. Your life is together in every single way except for one thing. Only one thing is leaving you with that empty feeling. Jesus looked at him. He gazed at him with love. And he said, go and sell your stuff and give the money to the poor and then you will be rich in heaven. Now mind you, Jesus is not rebuking him here. Jesus does not discipline him here. Jesus is probably doing what he does best. He's loving this guy because he had, happened to have only one emptiness in his life. Everything else was in place. This is a man with huge potential. He's sitting in the pew this morning. Well, folks, there's nothing wrong with the good things in life. They're not suddenly bad once Jesus utters this line about go selling your stuff and giving generously to the poor. It's just that a lot of those things that resource our lives, they will not set us free. They will not set us free. And maybe the opposite of rich is not poor, but it is to be free. To be really and truly free. To attach ourselves to Jesus and the Christian life without worrying about it all. You know, since April 1st of this year, in this congregation, we have had a death on average every eight days. And as I have, and as others have walked with these families, it's fascinating to see the variety of approaches to death and the loss of either a mate or a best friend. The degree and the manner of approaches is vast. But I can tell you this much, that when a person is really and truly free, that they know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, they don't just admire Jesus, they don't just think well of Jesus, they don't just occasionally drop the name of Jesus, but for those who have spent their life trying to know and love the Lord Christ, they are free people, and they are okay in the midst of the horrors of death. They can spot a future that will be different from their past. They can be confident in the resurrection. They can put one foot in front of the other despite their grief because they are free people. You can do everything religion thinks, you think religion tells you to do, and you can still come up empty. You can live a very, very respectable life and you can still come up empty, especially at the time of death. Jesus seems to know full well that when he gives that last command of his, you know, go and sell your stuff and give it away. Give away the money to those who would benefit from it. He knows full well that that is impossible. He knows it. And that's why he says, you know, for you folks, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. The one thing that this guy needed, some freedom 
to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust in eternal life, he could not buy with money. He couldn't buy it in spite of his resourcefulness. And so we say to ourselves today, as Jesus gives us this word with God, you know, all things are possible. That maybe we can let go of some of those things that make us believe we don't need God. Maybe we can take some of those resources of our lives and be incredibly generous with them. This guy had it all together. All together. Except for one thing, he was not a free person. So our task becomes how to figure out how to get there. And it's no merits of our own. (laughs) It's no efforts of our own. It's no strategies of our own. It is leaning into the Lord. It is trusting that this one and with this one all things are possible. The opposite of rich may not be poor. It may, in fact, be to be free. Amen. Great is your faithfulness, O God.
Please join me in prayer as we speak that prayer that our Lord Jesus has taught us, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Living a respectable life is pretty easy. Living the Christian life is much tougher. So this week, why not see what you can do to make note of all those things in your life that allow you to function and believe as if you don't need God? And may the blessing of the Lord Almighty be upon your soul-searching, your note-taking, and your prayers. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.